0: Good morning. Welcome to Relevant Faith Church this morning. Uh, my name is Mike Womer. I am the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith. We're beginning a series that we intended to begin today in the book of James where I'm going to preach for at least the next 10 weeks on the book of James where we're going to break this passage, this, this this book down, scripture verse by verse. Um, and I, I usually, my, my process to writing my messages starts on Wednesday where I take some time to pray, God, what do you want to speak? Usually I know... Theme-wise, what I want to what I want to preach, and then I get some specific on Wednesday, and spend a few hours doing that, and then Thursday, spend most of the day a seven, eight, nine hours studying and and writing a message, and um, and this week was different. This week, Tuesday, I started that, and for no reason except that I started it on Tuesday, and then Wednesday, I wrote the entire message, and then on Thursday, was the day that Julia passed away, and amazingly enough, I look at the message that God had given me, and it was so fitting for where we are as a body of Christ, as the body of Christ, but where our church is specifically and where I as the pastor am personally. And so hopefully this message resonates in your spirit and your heart like it did mine. So in the book of James, it's one of my favorite books of the Bible because it lays a lot of practical practical stuff out. It's difficult from time to time to comprehend, to, to understand that, God, you want me to do what? Because that's what James does to me. God, you want me to do what? So James is going to be our series called God's Plan for Faith. Part one of that series is today, the Blueprint Plan for Maturity. So the book of James, this will give you a little, I like intros and I like context, so I'm going to give you a little bit of information, background. If you're a history fanatic like me, then you'll like this. If you're not, then just endure until I get to the good stuff. The book of James is a letter written by the half-brother of Jesus. That's who James was. He became the chief elder in the Jerusalem church, And that was during a time when Peter left to begin all of his trips to his trip to Rome. So James is writing to the Jewish followers of Christ that are spread out. A little useless information, but interesting nonetheless, is that many believe that this letter might be the oldest existing Christian document around. If you're into history and things like that, that's an interesting thought. And so just a little bit of context, so James was writing this letter to a lot of people that he was writing to were people like day laborers and farmhands and, and hardcore, hard working blue collar people that we would reference in, in, in the United States today and, and he would write this letter to them and most of them were dependent on their day's wage to feed their family, to take care of the, the needs of the family. They were, most of them were dependent on each day's wage and on top of that a lot of them were being gypped pretty regularly. They weren't being paid what they should be paid. And so therefore, there were some challenging times for them that James would write to them about. And so there are, I break this book of James down with three very key themes. And they are, there are trials and tribulations. There's a portion of James that's all about trials and tribulations. And there's a portion that's all about wisdom and speech. And there's a portion that's all about wealth and poverty. And so we're going to, we're going to speak Maybe for the next 10 weeks, maybe a little bit longer, depending on how God leads us um, on this this subject, God's plan for faith. So we're going to jump right in with James chapter 1, verse number 1 through 12 is where we're going to be today. It'll be up on the screen for you to see, or you can open up your Bible or turn to your devices, however it is that you engage the Word of God. And this is what the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse number 1 says, this letter is from James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. He goes on to say, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you will know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So, that, so let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed... You will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is 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 as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. And verse number 12, which will be the last verse we speak about today, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That is the word of God this morning that we are going to be in for the next several minutes. So from our text this morning, I'm going to unpack this idea of a God-given blueprint plan for maturity. I know many of you would think, well, I, I'm, I'm pretty mature I know teenagers that say, well, I'm mature. I kind of laugh. While there are teenagers who are more mature than others, <laughs> they're still not a mature demographic of age group. And even as adults, you say, well, I'm mature. And I would agree. I think a lot of us are mature in a lot of ways, and I think a lot of us are immature in a lot of ways. And, uh, but what I also know is that maturity is really not develop, it doesn't necessarily, it comes with age, but there's not an age connected to it. I know people older than me that are less mature than my 15-year-old. And then I know 15-year-olds that are more mature than 30-year-olds. So it's not necessarily based on age. With that being said, if you are a young person in this room, do not think for a moment that you're more mature than your parents. I promise you that will not work out well for you. Just have some, just a little bit of wisdom. Listen to your pastor, just a little bit of wisdom there. You know, but wisdom, but but maturity is really found in how we react and handle situations in our lives. That's where I believe that true maturity comes. How we handle difficult times, how we handle heartbreak, how we handle anger, frustration, bitterness, all those things. How do we handle these things? So I'm going to tell you something about James before we get started that you find right there in the very first verse where he says, This letter is from James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's important to understand that part before we even get started because a lot of people want to minimize the Word of God as being written by humans and it's whatever, it's fallible. I don't believe that. I believe in the infallible Word of God. I believe that every word was written by the power of the Holy Spirit, thus it is perfect and without without any kind of blemish. And so, but the reason why I share that is because you have to understand what that phrase actually means. The phrase slave is more significantly translated saying someone who belongs to another without any ownership rights of their own. That's what the word slave means in this context. Someone who belongs to another without any ownership rights of their own. Meaning, if I am going to be a slave to Jesus Christ, then that means he tells me what to do. He leads me where I go, what I say, what I do. So it, it, he leads me in where I go to school. He leads me in where I work. He leads me in all these things. I don't just arbitrarily get a job because I need a job. I'm led by the Spirit in where he wants me to work. Or I'm, if, I'm young, if I'm a young person today, I'm led by God and he tells me where to go to school. That's, that's, what, that's, that's what this means. I'm a slave to Jesus. That means I have no rights of my own. I claim nothing that is my own, but it's all him. If we got that mentality, I can promise you poverty would be stricken from the world today. If we had that mentality, that's a little side note. That was free for you. Not that you're paying for the rest of it anyway, but just a thought. So this is important because you have to know that he's not speaking on his own desire. His own plan or even his own blueprint. Rather, he is giving you the blueprint designed by God. He is giving the Jewish people that were scattered all over from the 12 tribes the blueprint designed by God by God himself. Not James's thoughts, not James's blueprint. So now as I read this and as I break this down for you, don't shoot the messenger because some of it's going to be difficult. Some of it might be might be easy. But this is God's blueprint. So there are four things that I am going to give you as part of God's blueprint. And you have a fill in the blank sheet there that you can take notes with that helps me stay on track and helps you be able to have something to look at later if you so choose. So the very first part of this blueprint plan for maturity is evaluation. That's the first part, evaluation. You have to be able to see your trials through the eyes of faith. See your trials through the eyes of faith. Where do I get that from? Right from verse number two. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, he's not saying be joyful because you have trial, because that would just be crazy. What he's saying is when you have trial, it's an opportunity for you to express joy. It's an opportunity for you to look to the heavens and say, God, I worship you. God praise you for your name. I, I was having a conversation with Dan, like I said, I spent the last couple of days with him, and I told him I was going to mention a few times in this message because it just the, what God gave me on Tuesday, Wednesday just totally totally fits where he is, his family is where I am, and a lot of other people who, it, it, that were close to this family, and so it's not message for that, it was written before that, which is why I just love Jesus so much, but this idea of trial, I asked him this one question, I asked him, you know, since yesterday, and this was on Friday when we were shooting stuff, Dan likes to shoot stuff, and I like to shoot stuff, so we were out in the country shooting stuff, and so, it was targets. so it's okay, um, so we were, uh, wasn't other people, but so we were talking, having this conversation, and I asked him this question. I said, so tell me about your prayer since yesterday. Not prior to yesterday, but since yesterday, because that would be when everything took a dramatic turn. And he said, praise Jesus. Thank you, God, for the time that I've had. Just, I was just overwhelmed. There's an opportunity for joy, an opportunity for praise. See, God is doing a work in you. He is doing a good work in you. And notice how it says troubles of any kind. We're not just talking about simple troubles because, you know, some folks will say, oh, you know, I stubbed my foot, but praise Jesus, I'm going to be okay before bed. Or, oh man, I I fell a little bit short at the grocery store, but praise Jesus, he's going to make a way. Those are small little issues that you may have in life, but I'm talking about big things. So it's not just small things, but it's big, overwhelming struggles and issues we find, if we can look at them through the eyes of faith, we find the opportunity to be joyful. So why should we do that through the eyes of faith? Because the Bible says in verse number three, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Now you've heard me say, if you've heard me preach, you've heard me say that you can learn a lot from the Bible for what it says, but you can also learn a little bit for what it does not say. And one of the things that it does not say is it does not say that your faith necessarily will grow without trial. I've been doing this for quite a while, and I would, li- I would tell you that while life was really good and everything was going well, it's the least amount of growing I've done. It's just the reality. When life is weighing on me, when it's heavy, when I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet, or I'm struggling in my heart, or my spirit, or I'm angry, or I'm frustrated, or I'm bitter, or I'm going through something, those are the moments I've grown the most. I have grown the most through conflict. I've grown the most through confrontation. I will sit and have a conversation with someone and there'll be a, a, sometimes a heavy confrontation, other times a, a, a little light confrontation, but nonetheless a confrontation in which I've grown. And so the reason why we look for the opportunity to have joy is because that when our faith is tested, we have the ability and the chance to grow. Notice he didn't say your faith is tested and you will grow. You have the, your faith is tested, you have a chance to grow. Because maturity is based on how we respond to our situations. So here's what I'll say, an immature person. And we can have immaturity and immaturity in different parts of our life. I will tell you right now, I am an immature driver. Somebody comes alongside me and they cut cut in front of me and I think they're too close. I got something to say to them. And then usually my right foot gets a little heavy. And I usually, with no kids or wife in a car, if my kid's a wife in a car, not a chance because my wife will rip my face off. But if I'm alone, there's a good chance I'm going to be about 8 to 12 inches from that guy's bumper for a couple of minutes just to let them know I'm there. I'm just being real. That's what I am here. I'm real. If you can't handle a pastor who's real and flawed, then you're in the wrong place. Because I'm very, I'm very real and very flawed and I will share it with you. Because if I, I'm not the only one who does it. Not at all. I think it's built hardcore into the DNA of police officers because I see it all the time with them. I'm like, if they can do it, I can do it. I'm just, I'm just playing. We have retired police officers here, so I like to play around. But, uh, but the reality is when we face trials, we have a chance to grow. So even in that moment, it's a small thing, but I have an opportunity to grow. I have an opportunity to back off the gas and not get frustrated, but that's, that's one I'm, I'm, I'm about a 44% failure rate on that one. I'm not doing so well with that. But tell you what, the devil comes and takes all my money, I'm all right. I don't know why. I don't know the difference. But the reality is when you face any kind of trial, temptation, struggle, or anything, you have a chance to grow. And the only difference is I'm an immature driver. A mature driver would have just, my wife would have just backed off and be like, man, what is wrong with this guy? Me, I'm like, uh-uh. You're not cutting me off. I'm an immature. She's mature when it comes to driving. So, but it's when our faith is tested, we have this opportunity. When our faith tested means when you're put through the ringer. When you're put through the ringer of life, here's what faith, the testing, faith being tested, this is what it actually means. It's being put through the ringer of life to determine what is real. Because a lot of folks can have faith and they can lift their hands and worship until something happens in life. And then they're like, oh, no, then this is all your fault, God. You did this to me. I'm mad at you, and I'm mad at this, and I'm mad at that. And let me just help you out real quick for a minute. Don't get mad at God. It doesn't work. You can argue with them all you want. I do. From time to time, I lose everyone. Because that's what we do. We put our faith in our situation or in people. So when a person fails us, oh, my gosh, you know how many people I've talked to and counseled with that's left the church because somebody offended them? woo That's a problem. That's not just a problem in the church. That's a problem personally in our faith. You know, faith being tested is going to reveal what is real. Proverbs refers to the same exact testing as the testing that silver and gold go through to test their purity. It's the same same testing, the same language that's used. Because when your faith is tested, it will reveal your heart. 100% of the time. When your faith is tested, it will reveal your heart. It will reveal needs to grow. And I'm, I love when I need to grow. It's not comfortable, it's painful, but I love it because then I, uh, hopefully, because my heart's desire is to be a better pastor, is to be a better father, is to be a better husband, is to be a better man of God. That is my heart's desire. So if I have to go through crap to get there, I'm okay with that. I don't necessarily handle it well all the time, but I'm okay with it. It's the same thing that I do with interns. When We get interns that come into this place and they say, oh, I feel like God's called me to ministry. It's like, yeah, we'll see. I will put them through the ringer, I will press them, I will offend them, I will push them. Why? Because I actually know what it takes to do this for a living. And young people think that this is all glitz, glamour and glory and let me tell you, it ain't. Nothing. None of that. And if you see those preachers on TV and they're like decked out in these five-piece suits and driving these $100,000 cars, I don't know too many folks like that. Except the ones on TV. Because the reality is, it's not all good. Let me tell you a really quick story. What time is it? Yep, got time for the story. When I went into ministry for the very first time, I remember going to my pastor. I got saved. I gave my life to Christ in 1998, of December 16th, 1998. And when I came to Jesus, it was radical transformation for me. I literally went from getting drunk and high every day to being, in the, being filled with the Holy Spirit the, the very next day after I gave my life to Christ. And so I went from one extreme to the next. And so as you know, anytime you go from one extreme to the next, there's a whole bunch of mess. And I was a whole bunch of mess and actually still am in some ways. But I was this big giant ball of mess. And I remember about a year and a half after I gave my life to Christ, my pastor came to me and said, Mike, we would like you to lead the junior high youth ministry. Okay. My wife's like, what did you just do? I'm like, I don't know. He told me he wanted me to do something. So I said, yes. Yes. She was not a fan of junior high school kids, and I quickly understood why. Don't get me wrong, I love them. They're great. God's most interesting creation is junior high school boy. And girl, for that matter. I mean, I was, I was bad as a junior high school youth pastor. So, But I did that for about a year, year and a half, and then we combined youth ministries. But I remember during that time, during that season, I went to my pastor and said, Pastor Mike, I feel like God has called me into ministry, that this is what I'm supposed to do. We're having a cup of coffee at Starbucks, and I'm like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And he said to me, well, praise God, tell me something. I said, yes, sir. What else can you do? I was like, I I don't understand the question. He said, well, what else are you capable of doing? I said, oh, well, you know, I I work at 84 Lumber Company. I I I like that. I'm pretty good at that. He says, okay, go do that. I was crushed. I was devastated that my pastor who I just poured out my heart to, that's what his response was. I didn't talk to him for like three months. I saw him in church, hey, good morning, pastor, and that was all he got from me. And he knew he was okay. He's letting me work this out. Because he knew I wasn't going anywhere. I was still serving every week, and I was still doing what I did. He knew I wasn't going anywhere. So he let me work this out. So about three months goes by, and I'm like, all of a sudden, in service one Sunday morning, I'm like, huh, okay. So I went back to him. I said, can we have a cup of coffee? And he said, yeah. And we sit down, and I tell him the same thing. Thank God. I feel like God's called me into ministry. This is what I'm supposed to do with my life. He said, what else can you do? I said, nothing. He's like, I don't understand the the response. I said, I work at 84 Lumber Company, and I make six-figure income. I love what I do, and I'm very good at it, but I am not fulfilled. Something's missing. I said, so I can't do anything else. It's either this or nothing. And he's like, okay. Now let's have the conversation. And I was like, what? Why couldn't you just tell me that? Because the reality is I had to be put through this test and put through this fire so that it would come and reveal what was real. Because a lot of people think, oh, I'm called to ministry full time until they get there and then they flake out and they're gone. Because they've not gone through this real testing. That's why I do what I do to, to, to interns. It drives them nuts. But let me tell you, I, and every, anybody I've ever mentored in that capacity, if they are in ministry, they still are in ministry today. They didn't flake out. Because we've, we've figured out whether they were called to do that or not. Or they're called to do it as vocation or just as volunteer. And both are equally as important. And I honestly think volunteers are more special than people who do it as vocation. That's just my personal opinion. But we have to evaluate everything through the eyes of faith. Number two, got to move. Woo. i got to move. The theater gave me more time, but I don't want to use it. <laughs> John's looking at me like, crap. Because it takes some time to tear this stuff down. So number two. That was just number one, I got four, but I'm going to be quick on the others, I promise. Number two, so we have to evaluate everything through the eyes of faith. Number two, there's, there's information. In a blueprint, there's information. There's evaluation, there's information. What's the information? We have to understand what the trial is producing. That's the information. Understand what the trial is producing. All these should be, yeah, they're all up on the screen, man. My, my media people are awesome. Verse number four says, so let it grow... Because we're talking about endurance and faith. So let it grow. For when endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So for, there's, there's a whole personality type that desires to be perfect. And I know several of y'all are in here. Because I know it. So if you work this process out, you will one day be perfect and complete, needing nothing. does that sound great? Anybody like the idea of being perfect, complete, needing nothing? Okay, uh, bad, bad note. It's not going to happen on earth. <laughs> unfortunately, because he's referring to our future glory. He's referring to the reward of the crown of life, which we'll talk about in a few minutes as we get to the end of this message. But the reality is, it's that endurance. It's its, it's, it's, it's faithfully walking out life with pain and be, and enduring it that will lead to being perfect. As a matter of fact, this phrase, in our current life, would be better translate, translated as, is, is so let it grow when the endurance is fully developed, you will... Be mature and whole. You will be mature and whole because that's what happens when you go through struggles. That's what happens when you endure the race to the end As you are mature and you are then whole. Meaning I, I don't need the approval of men to know that I'm doing what God's calling me to do and I'm doing it well. Although I love it, don't get me wrong, I don't need it. And that's, and that's because I've come to a wholeness in that area. I still can't do that in my driving, but I've come to the wholeness in that area. It's only after facing trials and facing struggles and facing temptation that you find yourself growing in maturity. You're made whole through faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, don't try to avoid it. You must endure many trials. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than gold, when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. That's the point. If you ever want to know why you're struggling, put that, leave that scripture up there. That's why. That is why you're struggling. You want to know why your heart breaks? That's why. You want to know why you're dealing with this something in, day in, day out? That's Why? Because, when, because it will bring you much praise and glory and honor in the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole, whole world. When your faith remains strong through those things, then Jesus is glorified and then you receive glory when he shows back up. That's why. You have to evaluate the struggle through the eyes of faith. You have to understand what it is producing. And number three, when you read a blueprint, there's a cooperation. When you have a blueprint plan for a house, there's a lot of different people that got to cooperate to build that house. Here's the cooperation in the blueprint of maturity. Work with God in the process. Work with God in the process. Verse number five. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So let me help you out for a second. Before you open up your lips, ask God if that's what you should say. Man, I am so Peter. Peter is open mouth, insert foot. That's what he does. I love, I am that man. I, I, I see something, I hear something, I'm like, oh, let me talk about that. And then, I, and then after halfway through of my start, I'm like, oh, my God, I wish I would stop talking. And then it becomes a slow motion train wreck that you can't stop. You're just watching. You're like, oh, my gosh, everybody's going to die. I know that's dramatic. I've been told I have the flair for the drama. I wonder where my daughter gets it from. But the reality is, if we, I, I, to, I just told someone this in, in, uh, in encouragement and counsel, like last week, and then God convicted me of it. I think, and, and I, I, I'm a little different with the way I, I hear God. Some people are very proper, I'm not. Um, and so I told somebody last week, I said, you know what, listen, the Lord gave us two ears, one mouth, listen twice as much as you speak. And they were like, oh, that's good. I get home and God's like, this is the way I hear it. He's like, ha ha, when you going to do that? I'm like, one day, one day, I'm better at it today than I was yesterday. So we'll say that because sometimes that's all we got. Sometimes all we have is I was, I'm better today than I was yesterday. And so there's a cooperation. You have to work with God in the process because here's the reality. If the process is slow, it's usually because we're slowing it down. God has a timing and it's perfect. And when we're working within God's perfect timing, we don't feel that it's too slow. We don't feel that it's too fast. We just feel that it's just flowing. And so we have to work with God because sometimes we slow the process down. God wants us to cooperate with him. When we're going through the process, we're going through the trial, we're without a doubt need wisdom. When you are, man, when you're facing a huge decision in life, you need wisdom. You need the wisdom of God, especially if it's like altering your plan, altering your finances, altering your faith, altering his, uh, Big decisions, you've got to have wisdom. I need wisdom in every decision. But big decisions, you've got to have wisdom. And not your own version of wisdom. Oh, please, dear Jesus, not your own version of wisdom. Because you need the wisdom that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, when Jesus went into heaven, He ascended into heaven, He sent the Holy Spirit as comforter, but He also sent the Holy Spirit as guide. Guide us into all truth. That's the wisdom that we want. We don't want our own wisdom. I I will seek out wisdom from those that are important to me. Whenever I, as a pastor of this church, whenever I have a thing that's raying on me or something I need to talk about, I take it to the leadership of this church and say, what do you think? And I ask them and I I value their opinions and they give me their opinions. And and a, a lot of times I take them and use them. Sometimes I don't. I've learned that the times that I don't usually makes it a little bit harder. That's part of me. I'm learning and growing as I go. But we need to exercise wisdom with people. But we have to have the right people giving us the right wisdom. There's some folks I just won't go to because they're not going to tell me anything good. You can't have your own version of wisdom. You have to have the Holy Spirit. Why does that matter? Because in the middle of the trial, let me tell you, the devil will most certainly lie to you about what is real. In the middle of what you're going through, the devil will lie to you about what is real. He will tell you it's somebody else's fault. He will tell you, I, I, I was that person. I was sitting in the midst of, of frustration as a pastor of a church. And, and I was sitting in the midst of this and saying, oh, it's that person's fault and that person's fault. And, that, and my anger's getting riled up. And I'm like, yeah, it's all them and not me. And then, man, the, the devil will lie. In the middle of that trial, he will lie. But it's the Holy Spirit that leads us into truth. Wisdom is critical in that leading. So why should, we lead, why should we work with God in the process? Because this is what happens. Romans 8, Romans 8 28, we all, if you've been walking with God and studying Scripture long, you know this. He said, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. See, a lot of people stop there because they're like, oh, that's okay because I, 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 God's working everything for my good. That's not how that works because there's, there's a connection to that. It's for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. So here's what you have to understand. It's not just a love, I love God, and I'm called. It's I love God, I'm called, I'm walking my calling. Because that called is not just, oh, I got a plan for you. It's are you walking out the plan that I have for you? Because that's who God's working things out for. If you're not loving God, he's not working things out for you. And if you're not walking his plan, he's still not working things out for you. So let's not re- just have the front half of that. Let's know that he's working everything out for the good of those who love him. And are called, walking out that calling. You have to evaluate the struggle through eyes of faith. You have to understand what it's producing. You have to work with God in the process. And number four, you have to, when it comes to building a house through blueprints, there's always conversations taking place. Everybody's got to talk to everybody. So, conversation, you have to ask for God's help. I tell you what, whenever I meet with my spiritual father and mentor, his name is Gary Grogan. He's the, he's the father of this house as far as the overseeing father of this house. And whenever I meet with him, I sit down with him and we pray. And the first thing he always prays is, Holy Spirit, help us because we can't do it on our own. And he's taught me to pray that way because the reality is I can't do it on my own. Look at what the Bible says in James chapter 1, verses 6, 7, and 8. It says, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Man, you want to see God work things for your good? Get stable in the presence of God. Get stable in the Word of God because that's who He's working it out for. So how do we so so how do we ask? Number 1, we make sure that faith is in God and it, that and our motives are pure. You have to make sure your faith is truly in God and that your motives are pure. You don't waver. Don't be wishy-washy back and forth hesitant. He doesn't like that that's not going to get you anywhere with him. There's there will never be peace or calmness in the house as long as you waver. Whenever my wife and I are faced with this, this decision and, and we sit down and talk about it and my response is, oh, I don't really know what to do. Maybe this or maybe that or maybe this or maybe that. And I go back and forth. If I go back and forth too long, she's done. She's like, all right, I'm out. Come talk to me when you're ready. Because I'm, wash, I'm wishy-washy. I'm going back and forth. I'm, 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 I'm unstable. And when I'm unstable, nothing good can come from being unstable. Anybody know any unstable people? I'm telling you, good doesn't come from that. Because here's the reality, ultimately you will not receive a thing from God. That's what he said. It's not me. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Now let me, let me just help you out for a second because if you're sitting here and you're newer to faith or you haven't made that commitment or dedication to Christ, let me just help you out for a minute because I, it sounds very daunting right now like holy crap I can't do this. The reality is it's a journey and a process for everyone and everyone's journey and process is different. It is. I mean, our life of faith is about walking down the path, falling on our face and getting back up, skinned, bloodied knees, elbows, and then getting back up and walking. And sometimes people have to come around you and pick you up. I know giant men of faith who I've sat with under their tutelage and also great men of God that I have counseled and mentored. And every single time they're like, you know what, Pastor, this is what I did. I'm talking people who lived for Jesus 20, 30 years. This is where I failed, Pastor. So this journey is an endless journey. The only important thing that you see is that your faith is in Him and that there's fruit from your walk with Him. I can't judge what's going on in your life, but I'll surely know what is and is not going. Because I'll know you by your fruit. I'll know what's coming out of you. Because if garbage comes in, guess what comes out? Garbage comes out. You can't put garbage in and have good out. It doesn't work that way. You've got to ask God for help. He's the only one that can do it. And so since the Bible tells us that we will not receive from God if we waver, it stands a reason. Remember, you can learn from what it says and learn from what it doesn't say. It stands a reason that while you're going through the hell you're going through, he has something for you to receive and that if you walk through it, you will receive it. You just have to walk through it. Last thing I'm going to share is this. John, you can come and get ready. Worship team, whatever you had planned. See, all that is hard, tough, difficult, challenging. But he has something for you to receive. When you endure it, he has something for you to receive. Here's the reward. There is an absolute reward. Verse number 12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So what is your reward? You are blessed. What does that mean? That means it's a condition the believer finds themselves in to receive God's benefits. That's what being blessed is. I'm in a, I find myself in a condition and a position to receive God's benefits. That's what it means to be blessed. I am blessed every day of my life. What's the other part of that reward? You'll receive a crown of glory and honor. This is a descriptive word. It means that, what, that, that what surra- it surrounds you. The crown is, it, there's this physical representation of a crown of glory, but it's a crown of glory that it surrounds you. That's the reward. Surrounded by the glory of God. See, here's the thing. You can have that part of the reward on earth. You can be surrounded by the presence of God, surrounded by the glory of God in such a way that you will encounter people, and when you encounter them, they will know that they've encountered Jesus. Because you're surrounded by the glory of God there's just a presence about you it's the Holy Spirit in you and on you that tells people man there's ooh. I know I've met a few in my life that I've just been like I-, I want what he has I don't know what it is but I want that because I've just been around it That's part of the, that's part of the reward on earth God will surround you with honor he'll surround you with glory man that's got to hit somebody today Somebody's got to come to the realization that says when I'm walking through this trial, when I'm struggling, when I'm I'm having a hard time taking a step and my steps are baby steps, that I'm going to be surrounded by the glory of God, that God is going to show me honor because I've kept this faith and I've walked out this race and I'm I'm journeying towards Him. He says you'll receive a crown of glory, honor, and then he said, there's a the crown of life. Glory, honor, and life are the rewards. Blessing, glory, honor, and life are your rewards. What does that word life mean? It means there's two, there's a double meaning to this word. There's a physical here and now life that he has for you, but there's also a spiritual now and a spiritual to come in the future. The crown of life, the ultimate crown of life is I am hearing on that faithful day that Jesus comes back and introduces himself to the world. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the ultimate crown. So let's put this all together. When we evaluate the struggle, the pain, the trial through the eyes of faith, understand what it's producing in us, work with God through it, ask for his help, when we put it together go back go back one there you go when we put this together that's what I love about scripture it's a whole lot of if and then makes it very simple for folks like me when we can do this and that's just what I preached in the first 12 verses of James when we can do this now you can go to the next slide then we will be surrounded with glory with honor and life the kind of life that comes directly from God For you now, both physically and spiritually now and in the future. That glory of God, that life, that honor is for you now and for your ultimate victory and ultimate life crown in heaven. That's what it's for. That's what these trials are for. You want to ask the question? I have the answer. You want to ask the question why? Here's why. So that you can receive the reward. That's why. That is why. I'm going to close with a story. If you bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I took this illustrative thought right out of my Bible. It says, more and more people love to participate in extreme athletic competitions, 100-mile races across demanding terrain, tough mutters that require competitors to race through challenging obstacles, and triathlons involving two-mile swims, 100-mile bike rides, and a full marathon. From an outsider's perspective, it makes no sense at all that people would not only willingly subject themselves to this, but also pay an entry fee to do it. But there's something profoundly satisfying about enduring hard things. I believe the roots of that motivation are found here in James. Here he writes to Christ's followers scattered all over the Mediterranean world, challenging their natural aversion to hard things. Rather than focusing on the pain of the struggle they face, James reminds them that Jesus is always using the pain we experience in life for good purposes. The death of Jesus is followed by his resurrection. The death of Jesus was followed by his resurrection. The death of Jesus was followed by his resurrection. The death of Jesus, this horrific moment in history, was followed by the greatest moment in history when he was raised from the grave. No one ever learns to ride a bike without skinning a knee or an elbow. And when we can lift our eyes from ourselves to God's good purpose, pain is put in perspective. It becomes a tool of transformation as Jesus works to shape our hearts to be a little more like His. That's why you endure pain. That's why good things happen, bad things happen to good people. That's why there's death. That's why there's illness. That's why there's sickness. Because it draws people so close to Jesus, a place He wants to be a place He wants us to be, and a place that we want to be. Do I wish it were a different way? Yes, I absolutely every day of my life wish it was a different way. But I trust in the sovereignty of God, that He is in control, that He knows everything that I need. He knows when I need it. He knows how I need it. He knows why I need it. And I don't need to ask Him the question. But yet here, He allows for us to ask the question he allows us to say why so that he can speak to our hearts so this morning with every head bowed and eyes closed if you're sitting here this morning and you're facing a struggle you're facing a trial you're facing an issue and you just need God to speak I'm going to tell you two things he just did did you hear? and number two just keep on waiting for him he's never late never late to the party is Jesus if you're sitting here and say pastor I hear you preaching I hear the word man I I I just I I need to make some changes in my life I need to dedicate my heart and life to Jesus if you've never done that I want to give you the opportunity now while you're sitting here to do that if you've never made that declaration that decision then this morning right where you sit would you please just slip your hand up and put your hand back down you don't have to leave it up you don't have to hold it up just put it up and put it back down that's just an acknowledgement to God this is a personal moment between you and him. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And for everyone else in this room, facing those struggles, facing those issues, the Lord just spoke to you. I'm going to encourage you when I, when I pray. Last thing I'm going to share with you this morning. My pastor shares with me He says the measure in which you will grow in life is directly connected to the measure in which you're willing to suffer. That's fact. The measure in which you, you grow in life is the measure in which you're willing to suffer. But you have to suffer well.